The Nats Chat Podcast Party is coming up Friday, October 13th from 6.30 to 8.30 at Walters. Just like last year, we'll be hanging out, chatting baseball, and watching sports. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That new modified lineup delivers, swinging a long drive to right center field. This is way back. Thomas to the warning track at the wall, and it has gone. A home run for Gunnar Henderson, leading off the bottom of the first inning for the Orioles. Gray ready. He'll let it go. Swing, it's popped in the air into shallow left. Abrams out. Alou coming in. Abrams will make the grab in shallow left field to end the inning. So Josiah Gray finishes off six innings, gives up just one run. And potentially that'll be the end of his season with a very good start here in Baltimore. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, September 27th, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Brooks Robinson holds the major league record for most games, 10, in which he drove in the only run in a 1-0 win. And so it was almost eerie what happened on Tuesday evening, hours after we learned of the death of Brooks Robinson at the age of 86, a 1-0 Nationals loss at the American League leading Orioles. Uh, Sports are funny that way. Nats this season are 0-3 against the O's with all three losses, shutout losses for whatever reason. That's now for the season 69-89, and 89, including just 8-20 and 20 over their last 28 games. But Tuesday was not all bad for the Nats. First of all, Tuesday was Davey Martinez's birthday. He turned 59, so happy birthday, Davey. But also on Tuesday was Josiah Gray ending his 2023 season in fine fashion. And I think we can all say in the bigger picture, that mattered so much more than the result of this game from a Nats perspective. So good to see Josiah Gray end his season like this. The ERA winds up under four. Mark, that is what we wanted. That is what we got. A Josiah Gray 2023 earned run average beneath four. It's funny how it all works out like that, Al, isn't it? We talked about it last time. I had run the numbers and figured out he needed to go at least five innings, giving up two or fewer earned runs. And so when he got through the fifth in a nice way to get through it and pitch out of a jam, got a big double play, and it was only the one run allowed, I thought to myself, well, I wonder if they know this and they might say, okay, great job, go take a seat. 
No, they let him go back out for the sixth. Took a little bit of a gamble there. He finished strong. I can tell you in that clubhouse afterwards, it wasn't joyous by any means, but it was not downtrodden at all. Yeah, they would have loved to win that game. Of course, you never want to be shut out one nothing. But there was a lot of positive vibes out of there because they know that Josiah Gray finished the year strong. Not just this start, but the last few starts were pretty good. And psychologically, we discussed this. I do think it matters. You see a three in the first column of your ERA at the end of the year. That's a good year. You see a four, you say, eh, not a great year. May not be that big of a difference. I think psychologically, it is a difference. So Josiah Gray on Tuesday evening, in what was actually a terrific pitcher's duel, each team started its best starting pitcher this season. Kyle Bradish, who has been great for the O's, and Josiah Gray, who has been the Nats' best starting pitcher. Gray in this game, one run in six innings, seven strikeouts. He gave up just five hits, a solo homer, and four singles. He issued two walks. He threw a good number of strikes, 98 pitches, 63 strikes versus 35 balls. So this was not one of these games in which he allowed one run in six innings, but you know, he issued five walks or he threw more balls than strikes. Like, no, the process was good. The peripherals were good in addition to the actual results. And so you take a step back and you look at Josiah Gray's 2023 season. He was the Nats' lone all-star this season. He, through July, was having a terrific season. Then came the downturn, a horrendous six-start stretch that lasted from August 1st through September 3rd. Gray, over those six starts, ERA of 849 issued a staggering at 21 walks in 23 and a third innings. And remember, we also had some ugliness. The final start in that six-start stretch, 6-4 loss to the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park on September 3rd. Gray in that game gave up three runs in the first inning to the Marlins among the occurrences in that inning, a one-out full count ground rule double by Jazz Chisholm on a high fly ball that Jacob Young lost in the sun in center field. And Gray, after the inning, appeared to yell at Young, catch the effing ball. And uh, Gray got spoken to by Dominic Smith, did express remorse in a post-game session with reporters. So that was almost like rock bottom. Gray was given a lengthy break after that game. His next start did not happen until September 14th. But as Mark just mentioned, Gray ends up finishing strong, not just with this outing at the O's on Tuesday evening, but his final three starts, four earned runs, 17 into third innings, 21 strikeouts versus five walks. It wasn't just this game at the O's. He did have a final good batch of games to where I think you can now look at that six-start stretch that was bad and say, yeah, that was really bad. But you know what? That was a speed bump to the season, but that by no means defined the season and that by no means ruined the season. And in the moment, we feared that that stretch was going to ruin Gray's season. And thankfully, that is not what ended up happening. Yeah, 100%. And it showed, and this is an important thing for any young pitcher, that he can make adjustments. He can see what he was doing wrong, address it, figure something out and get better. You saw the mechanics were better. The command was better. And in this start in particular, what you saw from him was that he used some pitches in big spots that we don't always see him have success with. Fastball, he blew it past Urias with two on and two out in the second first strikeout. And then he finished with some big changeups. He hadn't thrown one all night. All of a sudden, he gets to the fifth inning, two on, nobody out. Gunnar Henderson at the plate, and Cabert Ruiz calls the changeup, throws a beautiful one to strike him out then comes back and throws another one to Adley Rutschman to get the 5-4-3 double play to end that inning. And just having that confidence finally in that pitch, they've been pounding into him as with so many of their pitchers. They say, throw more changeups. 
He had the confidence to use it in those spots and get out and to throw his fastball for strikes as well. I think there was some growth here in these starts and some things that he can take into the offseason and say, okay, I can make those adjustments. I can be that guy. He said when he was asked what's the biggest thing he wants to work on this winter, he said it's fastball mechanics and command. I think that makes perfect sense. He did a nice job last winter of reducing the home run problem, basically cut his home run rate in half from last year to this year. The walks, though, were actually up this year, and that's the next step he's got to take. And to do that, you got to get ahead with fastballs early. It starts with that, and then you can go to your other stuff. I think he realizes that. He's seen he's able to have some success doing it and now wants to work on that in the offseason. What I liked about him was at the end of this night, he was pleased with the finish, genuinely pleased with the season that he had. But the next sentence out of his mouth was, I can do better. There's still more room to grow there, that he gets that and understands it. And he's not content to have a 391 ERA in, uh, in 30 starts and 159 innings. Yeah, and uh, those are the final numbers. 30 starts, ERA 391. The whip is at 146, so clearly that can be improved upon. But, you know, you think about a couple of things. So this was his age 25 season. There is still plenty of time to get better. And, you know, you also do the compare and contrast with what he had done the previous two years. 2021, 12 starts with the Nats, ERA of 531. 2022, ERA of 502, gave up the major league worst 38 homers issued the national league worst 66 walks. I mean, I think an appropriate way to always look at this stuff is if someone had handed you a piece of paper at the beginning of the season and said, Josiah Gray will make 30 starts, have an ERA of 391, cut the home run rate essentially in half, still have a problem with walks, but this is what he'll do. I think every Nats fan would assign that piece of paper because going into this season, we didn't know what to think about Josiah Gray. You know, coming off back-to-back years in which he posted ERAs of above five with the Nats, you know, you kind of said to yourself, man, if he doesn't demonstrate significant improvement this season, what exactly are we looking at here? Like, when exactly is it going to happen? Is it going to happen with him with the Nats? And I think now you can talk to yourself and say, you know what, this guy is going to work out, or at least you can have that belief that he's going to work out. I mean, we know that he is such a key piece in this rebuild. And, you know, whether he can be like a certifiable ace or more of a number two, like however you want to view it, can he be a good starting pitcher? And I think this season he gave you real reason to believe that he can be a good starting pitcher at the major league level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the last time the Nationals had a starter reach 150 innings with an ERA under four, it was 2019. Now, they had four of them that year, including the guy under three, and, and we know how big a difference that is. But the last three years, they have had nobody combine both the success and the length that he provided them. Now, there's, again, more. He can go there. He can get deeper in games. He can be more efficient. And these are all things that he wants to do to improve on. But I agree. I think at the start of the year, you put those numbers out there, how he'd finish the year. You say, absolutely, that's significant improvement. We'll take that in a heartbeat. I think the only reason that it at times felt disappointing because the first half was so good and he seemed to take this major leap forward, getting the all-star selection and ERA under three pretty deep into the season. I think late May, early June, it was still under three. So I think the bar was raised a little bit so that when he did struggle, it felt like more dramatic or more significant. But in totality, I don't think there's any way to look at this as anything other than a really positive year for him. And growth from year to year is exactly what you want. We talked about that. C.J. Abrams, Caver Ruiz, Luis Garcia, we haven't seen as much from him. But for Josiah Gray to be able to say, has he gotten better year to year since coming here? Absolutely. 
And I think that's a, a huge, big picture thing to look at. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this on the last show. C.J. Abrams, if he ends up leading the team in war for the season, Josiah Gray, he does end up finishing with an ERA under four. Like, these are the things that you wanted to see happen this season. The paths weren't, you know, picture perfect. The paths weren't exactly linear. You know, you were kind of all over the place with each guy, but it's where you wind up. You know, what was the ultimate destination? And you got to two pretty good places with each guy. You can always email the show, Podcast at gmail.com. We got an email from uh, Jofi regarding opening day starter for 2024. Can we say that Josiah Gray will be the Nats opening day starter in 2024? We're not doing the Patrick Corbin opening day thing anymore, are we? Josiah Gray's the guy for opening day 2024. Can we say that? I want to believe that it's not going to be Patrick Corbin by default. Again, I do want to believe that. As we've discussed, I think Mackenzie Gore at his best was better than Josiah Gray. The problem was that he didn't do that consistently enough and didn't produce the volume that Josiah did. And, and you know, he's a year behind him developmentally and all that. Yeah, I think if if you said Davey Martinez right now, hey, who are you going to give the ball to on opening day? I think he's more likely to say Josiah Gray than anyone else. And and again, it's it's a small thing, but I do feel like that 391 ERA sure looks a lot better on the opening day register than, you know, something in the fives or sixes, which we have seen here the last couple of years. Psychologically, I think that makes a huge difference and gives fans a whole lot more reason to be excited about who they're sending out to the mound on opening day next year. Here's something else to think about with Josiah Gray. So his agent is not Scott Boris. We just saw the Nats going into this season sign a non-Boris client in Kbert Ruiz to an eight-year contract extension. Put aside the season that Kbert has had and put aside, you know, you're probably not going to sign Gray to an eight-year extension. But do you think the Nats this offseason might try to get Josiah Gray signed to one of these lengthy extensions that buys out some free agency years. Is that a possibility, do you think? I think it's an intriguing one. I think the tricky thing, and they've certainly been burned by this, is with pitchers. If they don't go well, it can really cost you down the road. And I think that would be the fear there. But each passing year that you go, and let's say he improves again next year, it's only going to get harder and more expensive to do what you're proposing. So I don't know what the number is. I don't know what the number of years is that would be appropriate, but I think it's certainly worth exploring different subject here. I think C.J. Abrams, I think this winner is the time to put the hard sell on him, uh, another non-Boris client, and see if you can't get him to do something along the lines of what Ruiz did. You know, With Gray, it's tougher, but we know this organization is not real rich in young pitching. We know that Kate Cavalli is still a huge question mark coming into next year off Tommy John's surgery and that Mackenzie Gore, while there's a lot to like, still has some important steps to take himself. So if you can do it on reasonable terms, I think it is worth exploring to be sure. But I also know there's going to be just that little bit of hesitation because he's a pitcher and because of how the non-Max Scherzer pitching contract, all the other ones around here have not gone so well for them. Play by Robinson. Look at oh, that. Oh, great day in the morning. What a play. Well, he does it in big games. Watch this play. 33-year-old Brooke Robinson. Going to his right for this one. He goes better to his left than the right, but how can you beat this? And getting a ball away off balance and still there, even though on a bounce. 
Hey guys, it's Al Galdi here to tell you about another great deal being offered right now by Window Nation to listeners of the Nats Chat Podcast. Window Nation is offering you even more. When it comes to new windows, Window Nation always gives you more, but now Window Nation is giving you even more, more. <laughs> the more windows that you buy, the more that you save up to 50% off, plus a lot more. Pay nothing for two full years. Another amazing deal on the great windows that Window Nation can provide to listeners of the Nats Chat Podcast. Save up to 50% with the purchase of a house of windows. You know, even given what has been happening with interest and mortgage rates, Window Nation still is keeping 0% interest for two years. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the great deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, the more windows that you buy, the more that you save up to 50% off, plus you pay nothing for two full years. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi from the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So Garcia again, runner breaks for the plate, he's trying to steal home the throw, he's out! He's out! The call at home by Carapaza, he's out! And the Orioles looking to challenge the call at the plate possibly, as Henderson broke on the left-hander Garcia. I I saw Henderson like judging him the previous couple of pitches and was not shocked that he went. It's worth a challenge for the Orioles at how late in the ballgame. It looked like he got the tag on the shoulder, though. Nats bullpen on Tuesday evening was good. Jordan Weems, a perfect bottom of the seventh with two swinging strikeouts. Robert Garcia, a scoreless bottom of the eighth that included a failed attempt at a steal of home by Gunnar Henderson. It was Henderson who hit the home run off Josiah Gray. Leadoff homer to right center field for a one nothing Orioles lead in the bottom of the first inning. And then Henderson in the bottom of the eighth, a leadoff infield single on an 0-2 pitch from Garcia on a ball that went off Dominic Smith, who made a nice diving attempt at the ball. But Henderson later in the inning thrown out on an attempted steal of home. This was an interesting strategery moment for the O's here. Two outs, one of the Orioles' best hitters this season, Ryan O'Hearn is batting. Henderson comes charging home on an attempted straight steal of home. You have Garcia, a lefty, back to third base, preparing for his next pitch. 
but he ends up throwing home in time, and Henderson gets tagged out by Kbert Ruiz. The O's challenged the play, but Henderson was clearly out. I mean, I don't think there was much really to review here. What'd you think of that decision there? I don't know if that was called by Brandon Hyde or if Henderson did that on his own. That was uh, gutsy, shall we say, but I don't know that that was the wisest choice by Henderson to attempt that. That is a bold move in a one nothing game, two outs in the eighth, and like you said, one of your better hitters at the plate. Now, clearly he read something that Garcia was not paying attention to him, but I want to give all the credit here to first Cabert Ruiz, who saw it, and you saw him. He didn't stay back behind the plate. He hopped up immediately, put his knee down on top of the plate. I thought maybe that's what they were trying to review. Was he blocking the plate, which I've never even considered as something on a stolen base of home. Thankfully, they didn't call him for that. So Ruiz first, and then Robert Garcia. In that split second, you're the pitcher, and there's chaos going on, and you now see the guy out of the corner of your eye sprinting to the plate. It is really easy to screw that up and commit a balk, either by making an illegal throw or stepping off the mountain, just not knowing exactly how to do it. And he did it exactly right. He didn't throw a pitch, but he just threw a nice, solid throw to Ruiz, who was right on top of the plate, and they got him, I think, pretty easily in my mind. I don't love the decision from Gunnar Henderson. I mean, it was a lot of fun to watch, brought some excitement to a game in which there wasn't a whole lot of exciting going on. But boy, if he tried to do that in a really meaningful game, or if the Orioles weren't quite as close to clinching the division as they were, if it was a little closer race between them and the Rays, and something like that could cost you, yikes, that's um, a bit much from the young, very talented Gunnar Henderson. Yeah, probably going to win American League Rookie of the Year. He's having uh, some season. So the Nats in this game were uh, rather feeble offensively. This was uh, one of the worst, maybe the worst offensive game for the Nats this season. I mean, it's hard to think of one that was worse than this, but no runs, just three hits, all of which were singles, two walks, 0 for 5 with runners in scoring position. Now, the O's weren't much better offensively. Neither team had a hit the entire game with a runner and scoring position. Like I said, Kyle Bradish was the Orioles starting pitcher. He is having an excellent season. He now for this season, 29 starts, ERA of 286. But man, this was rough to watch from an ad's perspective. I mean, you go to the top of the ninth, Yanir Cano, the Orioles closer is in there. A perfect top of the ninth, Three swinging strikeouts, which were of the Nats numbers two through four batters. Lane Thomas, Kbert Ruiz, Joey Manessis, all down swinging against Yanir Cano in that top of the ninth inning. Yeah. I mean, there was very little reason to think they were going to do anything against Cano. And there was very little reason to think they were going to do anything against uh, Bradish. I mean, a few hard hit balls. Joey Manessis drove a ball to the warning track and center that off the bat, I think a lot of people thought might be gone on a cold, rainy night. It just didn't travel. But to me, the frustrating part of this is they didn't have many opportunities. There really were only two of them, the second inning and the fourth inning where they had multiple runners on base. And in each case, the hitters who then came up with a chance to do something were Dominic Smith, Ildemaro Vargas, and Jake Alou. And I'm sorry, those are just not the names you want to see up in those spots. And we've touched on this some, but really over the last month plus of the year, pretty much anybody the Nats have hitting below the fourth spot in the lineup has been awfully weak. Now, maybe they have their moments here and there, but in the grand scheme of things, once you get past Abrams, Thomas, Ruiz, and Manessas, it's pretty slim pickings and it's been tough to watch. And so when your only real scoring opportunities come and those are the hitters that are up, it just kind of feels deflating. And I think this is something that's going to be important for them moving forward. If they're going to improve as a lineup, 
They've got to have more depth to it. They've got to have guys hitting fifth, sixth, and seventh at least who give you a chance in those kind of spots. Now, we know there are kids coming, and hopefully that will help bring depth to a lineup that sorely needs it. Maybe there's a free agent or two they can acquire in the offseason, short-term fixes who can help them out there. But, boy, it's disheartening at times to see the back half of this lineup late in the season. And it's a shame because when you get good pitching performances like they did, not just from Gray, but from the bullpen as well, all it would have taken is one, maybe two meaningful hits in big spots to win that game. And that changes the whole dynamic of it. Yeah. I mean, when you think about the Nats season, it's hard to sit here and say the pitching did its part and the hitting is what failed this team. Like, no, both things failed the team. But I have wondered, you know, we've talked about this. If the Nats just had a lineup that was a little bit better, you know, hit some more home runs, drew some more walks, like was a more appropriate fitting lineup for Major League Baseball in 2023, what might this season have looked at? Because at times, the pitching has been rather good, right? Like the bullpen was on a run for a pretty good chunk of this season. And the starting pitching at times has actually been all right. Like it has not been the debacle that it was certainly last season. And, you know, yes, you have guys like Trevor Williams and Patrick Corbin who have had bad seasons, but, you know, also with Gray and Mackenzie Gore and Jake Irvin when he was going well, you know, the starting pitching at times has been good enough for this team to be better than it has ended up being. The lineup without question has failed this team, certainly in the stretch of 20 losses in 28 games. And, you know, you have to say part of that is you traded away Jamer Candelario and you lost Stone Garrett, as odd as that sounds, like he was hitting really well for you. And so, you know, some things have been removed in terms of players available to you. But yes, this has not been what you feel like is an appropriate offense as this season has gone on. This really has come off like a 4A, even, you know, AAA offense uh, for a good chunk of the final month of this season. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of these guys, we said, hey, all right, we're excited to see some of these young guys and give them a chance to play and maybe they can play their way into a spot next year. I don't know that any of them really have made the case. Jacob Young has done a lot of good things, but offensively is, I think, still a big question mark. Jake Alou really hasn't done a lot. He had some RBI early on, but not a whole lot since then. Carter Keboom has kind of reverted back to who he was. Luis Garcia has hit better since he came back from AAA, but I don't think you're watching him and, and saying, yeah, okay, there's a lot there to get excited about. And then the placeholders, I'll call them Dom Smith, Ildemaro Vargas, that's you know not getting the job done for them. Even if they were, you would know that those were short-term solutions. So I'm interested to see what they do this winter. I know you don't want to invest too much until you see what you have in some of these kids whenever they come up, but you got to go into 2024 with some more depth and some more proven big league bats, whether it's an attempt to re-sign a guy like Jamer Candelario or to find somebody else like him. You hope that Stone Garrett is healthy and back to his old self at the start of the year. Riley Adams was another big loss here towards the end because they were doing that a lot where both he and Cabert Ruiz were in the lineup. It just There were lineups for a good part of the summer that you said, okay, you got six names in there that can do something for you. But here in September, it's really been four at best. And very often, not all four of those are producing on a given night. No, I mean, if you go by OPS Plus, which is OPS that's adjusted for a player's league and home ballpark, and 100 is average, and you just look at qualified Nats, so guys who qualify, guys who've had the requisite number of plate appearances, there are two guys on the Nats right now who have OPS pluses above 100 on the season, Lane Thomas and Joey Manessis. And this is coming into Tuesday. 
Thomas at 115, which is pretty good. Manessis at 102, which is a little above league average. Everyone else below league average. Like that's what this lineup has been for this season. And the other guys who are above 100 are guys like Victor Robles and Riley Adams and Stone Garrett, who didn't play enough this season to qualify. So, you know, Stone Garrett was good, but as the season went on, would he have continued to be that good? You know, I think that's a fair question. Like, I don't know that he was going to continue to hit the way that he was hitting. So, no doubt, the offense has been an issue. So we do now have some more clarity on uh, the Nats starting pitching plans for the remainder of this season. This was Josiah Gray's final start of the season. We can say that because Davey Martinez, during his pregame session with reporters on Tuesday afternoon, said that the Nats' three starting pitchers for the team's season-ending series at the uh, Major League-leading Atlanta Braves this weekend will be Trevor Williams, Jackson Rutledge, and Yoan Adone. So we will not see Gray for the remainder of this season. Sometimes you do see a starter, you get used as a reliever in the final series of the season. We're not anticipating that with Gray, or is that a possibility, do you think? Well, the way Josiah was talking to all of us after the game made it sound like he knows he's done for the year. So if somebody asked him to pitch again, I think he's going to say, whoa, hang on a second. I'm not going back out there. I think he's perfectly fine with this. Anytime you could finish on a strong outing, it takes you into the offseason with a positive mindset. Uh, felt like, feel like you can kind of check that box. Um, so I've been able to have a last couple good outings, but this one obviously feels sweet to you know, go into the offseason knowing that some of the changes I've, met, I've made over the last three outings you know, have obviously breeded results. You know, they said all along Trevor Williams would make another start. They decided it could have been Wednesday against the Orioles. They decided to do it instead Friday against the Braves. Um, hold on to your horses and hope for the best. That night, and Rutledge and Adone are both healthy, and you know they want to get another look at them. It'd be nice to see Rutledge against the Braves after having success against them. Can he do it a second time? We'll see. Adone, I don't know that he's going to change a whole lot of minds at this point. I think we have an idea of, of what he is, for better or worse. And then I did think it was interesting that Corbin will start the finale here against the Orioles. And I wonder if, in some regard, seeing how he struggled against the Braves, not wanting to put him back out there against them. And then you step into Camden Yards and you remember that left field fence has been expanded way out there. And I do wonder if a left-handed pitcher in this ballpark who is struggling like Corbin, this might be his best chance at keeping the ball in the yard and maybe finishing on a high note. We'll see. Obviously, Gray and company did a very nice job against the Orioles on Tuesday. Can they do it again on Wednesday behind Corbin? I don't know. But I wonder if there was a little calculated decision there to have him pitch in this ballpark as opposed to in Atlanta. Yeah, the wall in left field pushed back and raised up, as Jim Palmer calls it, the Great Wall of Baltimore. And uh, it has become just that. So the long-anticipated and much-talked-about start for Thaddeus Ward will not be happening. What about the long-anticipated and much-discussed return of Tanner Rainey? Uh, I feel like we've had this conversation (laughs) many times. We've been waiting and waiting and waiting on the Tanner Rainey Major League return, and it still has not happened. And here we are now, and uh, the Nats have four games left in this season. So where are we with Tanner Rainey? I sure hope it does happen because as much time as we've spent talking about it and as much as I've written about it, I want some payoff at the end of all this. He is here with the team. He threw a bullpen session on Tuesday. I think they want to activate him. Maybe as soon as Wednesday, maybe more likely on Friday. I think the issue is more who would lose their spot for him. Davey did mention some of these relievers. He's a little concerned about their workload and being worn down. He mentioned Kyle Finnegan and Hunter Harvey and Jordan Weems. 
Now, Weems pitching this game looked great for an inning, a scoreless inning, two strikeouts. We didn't see Finnegan or Harvey, but I think the issue there is they all want to keep pitching and they're all healthy. I think we can see what Finnegan has been in September and wonder if he has worn down. He's just out of gas, but you know he doesn't want to end the year like that and be shut down. So I think it's just a question of what's the maneuvering to maybe open up a spot for him. But I feel like they are acknowledging that Rainey is physically fine and ready to go. And they would like to get him out there just so he feels good about himself going into the offseason. So my guess right now is that we will see him maybe come Friday, but it's not a certainty. And they're still trying to figure out the machinations of how that'll work. So Tim Shovers just suggested this. Now that Josiah Gray's done for the season, couldn't you do something with him? Could you put him on the injured list and uh, activate Rainey via that? Sure, if you can um, convince the people who need to be convinced that he's injured. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're not supposed to just put a guy in the IL unless he actually has something. The players to sign off on it. Now, you know, he talked about how great he felt in this game. So all of a sudden, oh wow, oh, my arm, my arm, something hurts. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> Maybe they can do that. Uh, it's a good question. Or, you know, Corbin after the game on Wednesday, maybe all of a sudden his hamstring acts up on him. I don't know. There are ways to do it, but I think they're just trying to figure out what makes the most sense. Well, maybe Josiah Gray can visit the same doctor who diagnosed Chad Cool's foot injury, and uh, we can figure something out <laughs> that way. Perhaps that's the, the route to take. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. You also can find us on our website, natschatpodcast.com. It is at that site that you can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. It is also on that site that you can listen to our interview with the now-retired Nationals reliever, Sean Doolittle. He joined us last season. He was great. We had a lot of fun talking with Sean, and so uh, we're actually going to leave you with a portion of that interview at the end of this episode, and then we certainly want to encourage you to to check out that conversation uh, if you haven't yet heard that. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. Next up for the Nats is Game two of this two-game series at the O's, Wednesday evening at 6.35. Patrick Corbin versus Grayson Rodriguez is the pitching matchup. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. 2-0, the count, swinging a ground ball right side. Dozier to his left has it. Edge of the outfield grass. Throw to Zimmerman at first. It's a 1-2-3 inning for Sean Doolittle. Hitting the Nationals. To within three outs of a trip back to Los Angeles for a decisive game five of this National League Division Series. It just feels right, man. It feels really good to be coming home. My wife and I are so excited about it. I know as we're getting closer to opening day, you're probably starting to think about what the emotions are going to be like being back at Nationals Park. Now, you did get to come back last year with the Reds. It was early in the season. It was a, like, I think it was only 5,000 fans were there at the time, so it wasn't quite the full thing, but. I mean, the team went all out. They gave you the tribute video. They gave you some framed photos, a signed jersey. So what I'm curious here is now that you're back, did the team ask you to give them back all that stuff? <laughs> yeah, the, actually, the jersey that they gave me that was signed, they took it back and they got it dry clean. So all the uh, the autographs are, are no longer on it. And so I think it's hanging in my locker right now. <laughs> That was one of the highlights of my career. I didn't even pitch in that series. I was actually coming into the game, I think, that night, the first night of that series. And as I got to the gate of the bullpen, they started to pull the tarp and we ended up getting rained out. And 
I ended up not pitching, but that video and being able to come out and meet Davey uh, and Zim and Huddy at home plate and, you know, get some presents, man, it was way more than I expected, probably way more than I deserved to be honest, but I absolutely, I get emotional still thinking about it. And um, yeah, the emotions on opening day are going to be, are going to be a lot. I'm really excited about it already. Please turn your attention to the field and welcome back to time. All-Star and 2019 World Series champion, Sean 